So a uh, special welcome to any guests. My name's Mark, one of the pastors, and we're really glad that you're here. So a week ago today was a grand opening at our Northside campus. So we're one church that meets in three locations, our newest location on the north side of Madison in Northgate Mall. So get this, you guys. There are 377 people that showed up for services. And then dozens more that showed up in the parking lot for the big party that we had afterwards. And it was a great mix of people, some from our church, many from the neighborhood. And it's just a confirmation of God's gracious leading in our lives as a church. And we're so grateful for Pastor David for the core group. And so we just cheer them on and are excited. And then yesterday I had a chance just to swing up because I've been seeing the pictures all week of the roof going up over the auditorium at our new campus building and site for our DeForest campus. And so um, that's been really exciting to see that going up. And if you're ever in that neck of the woods, Highway 51 and Windsor Road, you can't miss it off to uh, the east as you're heading north. So we're celebrating that. All right, so we're talking about marriage. And right now you're going, oh man, if I'd only known you were talking about marriage today. I don't think I would have shown up. Some of you are already mad at me. I haven't even said anything about marriage because it's just that hard. It's a difficult subject because there's some of us who would actually like to be married and we've never been married. And then there's some of us who'd like to not be married. There's some of us who are struggling and it's really hard. And there's some of us who the struggle is like coming to an end and you're going through a divorce. There's some of us who just recently lost, or now it's been 10 years or 20 years, and yet the gaping hole is big. It's huge. And this is just a hard, hard subject. And so we want to talk about it with, um, with grace and sensitivity and bring the truth of God's word to bear that we would be encouraged and strengthened. And so whether we're married or not, this is a good word from God's word that actually guides us not just in the marriage relationship, but it's going to guide us in how we live our lives with people in any kind of a relationship. And so whether we're married or not, we, we know people who are. And we know that God blessed marriage and he wants marriages to bring blessing not just to them from God, but through them to other people. And so it's good for us to to reacquaint ourselves with the biblical teaching. We can't get to all of it. I'm going to try, as you know I will. We can't get to all of it, but we're going to get to a, a lot of it. And here's what I know is, as we talk about the family matters, this is week two. We talked about singleness last week, the gift of singleness. What I know is this, that, that, the, that the marriage is the barometer for the family. So how the marriage goes has everything to do with the family. And the marriage has always been ch challenged and there's trouble in our marriage. And I don't need to give you the statistics because we all have the stories. We all have the names and, and faces. So I think of my friend Jim who had told, who would tell me as a, a very successful business owner in his 40s that he told me this and I was shocked when he said it. There isn't a day that goes by, Mark, where I don't think of my parents' divorce. What? and to see how that was impacting even his life and his relationships at that time. 
I could see the picture of my friend kneeling at the foot of her bed, praying for her marriage, her husband cheating on her, just reckless, a guy who said he was a Christ follower, who mocked her for praying, and the, the marriage ended. I can still see the picture of her face as we were sitting around the dinner table, and, and her, her husband just embarrassed and humiliated, and to just see the flush come over her face, or to see like these volcanic heaving emotions of a wife who's sitting in front of me as it's just come out that her husband's been unfaithful. I mean, this, this is hard, hard stuff. And yet, there is so much grace and there's so much guidance here and there is every reason to be hopeful and even to be bullish on the God-ordained institution of marriage. So what I want to do is to kind of do a cursory overview here. We're going to start with what Jesus teaches about in Matthew 19, which is quoting from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2. So in Matthew 19, we read this. Jesus speaking, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, <clears throat> let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, that's the word for uh, any sex outside of marriage, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And so Jesus here is affirming from creation, everyone, male and female, is created in the image of God. He's affirming this covenant relationship called marriage between a man and his wife. He's affirming this one flesh relationship that sex is placed within this fence line of marriage. It's an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. Jesus is talking about sexual immorality as an exception that allows someone to divorce, but it doesn't require them to. And so this union, as God sees it, is severed when someone has sex with someone not their spouse. It's not God's plan. And the real issue, Jesus says, is hearts, our hearts, hard hearts, hearts that aren't soft towards God, hence not soft to each other. Paul picks up on this very thing of sexual immorality. We were looking at 1 Corinthians 7 last week, and he talked about the rampant sexual immorality in his day. He's responding to their letter, and so he writes in verse 1 of chapter 7, now for the matters you wrote about. Notice this next line is in quotes. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's what they were told. That was the, the, the thinking for some of the people that were ascetics who were saying it's more religious to just be spiritual. Sex is part of the body, is part of the physical world, and that's bad. We want to we wanna move towards God in spirit and be focusing on that. So he goes on to say, 
But since sexual immorality is occurring, that is, sex outside of marriage is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. In other words, the, the corrective here is no more sex because you guys are out of control. He said, no, understand this gift has been placed within the fence line of marriage. And so he says, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty. That's what he calls it. To his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive, that's the word defraud or cheat each other, except perhaps, here's the exception, by mutual consent and for a time, right? Not a long time, but for a time for this purpose, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, from the beginning, here's what we know. Genesis 1.28. God blessed Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. God's blessing rests over marriage. His blessing means it meets with his approval, and it brings us happiness. And the, the union that he describes here in one flesh is this body-mind-soul union. He's not just talking about physical intimacy. For sure he is, but it's not just that. It's spiritual and it's emotional. That's why when the Bible talks about what is the key core ingredient in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 40 and 39, the key core ingredient to who you should marry is, do they belong to the Lord? Because you're coming together, not just physically, not just emotionally, not just volitionally, but spiritually. How do we know that? Because there's actually a verse that interprets Genesis 2.24, and that comes out of the prophet Malachi in chapter 2, verse 15. The prophet writes this, Has not the Lord made them one? Referencing 2.24 of Genesis. In flesh and in spirit they are his. That second line begins to explain the unity it's more than physical. It includes our spirit, spiritual intimacy. That's what God longs for. Now, for this one flesh union, body, mind, and soul unity to take place, there are two progressive and ongoing commitments that flow out of that very first teaching in Genesis 2.24 that Jesus is referencing in Matthew 19 that Paul is going to reference in Ephesians chapter 5. And the two progressive ongoing commitments are leaving and uniting. Old King James, leaving and cleaving. All right? So they're progressive. Leaving sets up uniting. They're ongoing. So you don't say, well, I left, you know, I used to live, you know, with mom and dad, but now I'm married. We live together. I did that leaving thing back then. No, it's an ongoing thing. And we go, well, this, this coming together thing. Well, well we, I, I said my vows. We consummated the marriage. And so I did that. So it's all done, right? No, these are ongoing, present, active commitments that mark and bless a marriage and bring that kind of threefold unity, body, mind, and soul. So, when I was teaching the marriage prep class, 
at uh, College Church, I always had my friend Stu Odell, who was, uh, he was a doctor, and he, he'd do the, the, uh, the sex talk with the couples. And, uh, it, and, you know, as a doctor, he had lots of people coming through his office, and people would talk about their marriages to him. And so in a weird way, he kind of was like a counselor. And he said to me this profound statement. He said, I don't think there's ever been a time where an issue didn't come up that didn't chase back to one of these three things, leaving, uniting, becoming one. And so we want to catch up with these things and understand the import and how those can bless our marriage as we commit ourselves to ongoing leaving and uniting and becoming one. So this matter of leaving is a matter of allegiance and priority. It's not about abandoning your parents. And it points to the exclusive nature of this marriage relationship. Now, it says husbands are to leave, and we go, well, is that just the guy's deal? Well, the reason Moses would have written it that way and God would have revealed it that way is because if you think about the family unit in the book of Genesis, Whenever someone's getting married and finding a wife, they bring that wife into the family camp, so to speak. And so you're living with these multiple generations right there. And the principle is, whether you're a husband or a wife, there should be no one, there should be nothing after God that takes your number one priority place than your spouse. It's a matter of allegiance. It's a matter of priority. It involves physical, but more importantly, emotional. You could live thousands of miles away from mom and dad, but they could be right in the mix of your marriage and messing it up big time and driving a gap between it. It could be emotional, right? It could be financial. It could be other things than your parents, though. Some of us, our kids, actually, are in the wrong place. And so... Your kids are more important than your spouse. That's not the biblical teaching here. Your work could be in the wrong place. An addiction, right, could be obviously in the wrong place. So I think of my Uncle Freddie. I had two uncles uh, from my mom's side that could speak English, and Uncle Freddie was one of them. And when we would go to Switzerland and visit relatives, we'd often stay at his house. He was the greatest. Still living today, and he... um, spoke English, he was super bright, he always was up on all the political issues, he had the coolest Harley Davidson with a two-seater sidecar, man was that sweet, and um, he sold these big bakery ovens to bakers, and he was just this great guy, and he loved the Lord, and he loved his family, but Uncle Freddie missed this point, here's what happened, he built a house right next to his parents' house. That's not, that's not the end of the world because it could still work out. But this was his parent. This was his pattern. Every day he got home from work, and he was a clear workaholic, like hardly ever took a vacation. So it's later at night, right? He's, every time he got home from work, he parked the car, he got out of his garage, and he walked to mom's house. I'm not kidding you. You just want to check in, say hi, but it took a little bit of time. And then he came over and said hi to my Aunt Franley and my cousins, Heidi and Franey. It seems like such a little thing, you guys. It was a little thing that just 
tilted things. And, and it set up a lot of pain and a lot of dysfunction over something that seemingly is, come on, that can't be that big of a deal. Well, it wasn't just the, it was just everything wrapped up around it. And so there, there needs to be this clear sense of allegiance to our spouse after Christ. There is no one, there is nothing more important than my wife, than my husband. So is there anything you need to leave? Is your spouse number one priority after Christ? How would they answer that question? Is your relationship real, virtual, that has usurped your spouse? Is it work? Is it the kids? Is it porn? Is, is there any chance that some of us that have kids that are married are actually making it harder for our kids to enjoy God's blessing? You see, see what I'm saying? It is huge. And so when, when we start talking about this, you understand where this isn't just, oh, yeah, I moved out. No, this is like all the time. It's a priority. Is it a priority? So that sets up this whole matter of uniting. So when I was in junior high, we made chess boards. And the deal was you cut the, the lighter pieces and the darker pieces and strips, and then you glue them together, and then you cut them across, and you glued those together. And every time we were gluing things together, the shop instructor said, hey, remember, make sure you get it clean and wipe clean of all the sawdust, because if any of that's in there, it's going to compromise the bond. So clean it off. That's the leaving. Make sure there's nothing between you and your spouse so that the bond is tight. There's nothing going to compromise that bond. So this idea of being united, it's a strong word. It's the same word that is used in Proverbs 18.24 that is, that is translated sticks. It, it describes a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You heard that verse? It's the same word. It, it speaks of the permanence of marriage. It's a strong word of fastening a grip of this super glue, strong adhesion. And that's God's plan when we come together in marriage, that it would be for life, not till love do us part, till death do us part. And so we continue these commitments throughout our marriage every day, reminding us that this not only blesses our marriage, but it blesses others. And so Uncle Freddie had lots of regrets later in life. His, his wife had lots of angst and, and, and heartache through this. And so they were out of position at this point to receive all of God's blessing. And, and it's not a surprise that it affected my cousins. Because remember, God has blessed us that we would bless others. And that's true as a single person, and that's true as a married couple. And, and so there's something very missional about marriage. And in fact, when God's mission is complete in this world where God has reconciled and restored and renewed all things to himself through Christ for his glory, Jesus tells us in Matthew's gospel, I think it's chapter 22, that actually in heaven, there isn't going to be marriage. And we go, why not? It was your good gift from the beginning. Why not marriage? Because his work in this world is done. 
in, in a beautiful way. We're not losing anything in heaven by not being married. We're gaining so much more than we've ever could have experienced as two people that are not yet made like Christ in his perfect humanity. So there's a very missional nature of marriage. In Genesis, when he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, we think all that means is have a lot of kids. It's a big world. It's a big garden. I need you to take care of it. And so multiply lots of kids because it's a big world out there. We need a lot of hands there. But when you go back to Malachi 2.15, he says, the reason I made you one in flesh and spirit one is that you would raise up a godly offspring. Ah, i.e., when he talks about being fruitful and multiply, he's not just talking about have physically a lot of kids, but spiritually have kids that love God and know God and want to love them with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's, if God gives you kids, that's like at the heart of your mission. Priority number one as a parent, we'll talk about that more in the weeks to come, is that they would know and love and serve Jesus Christ. But there's another way that our marriages drive the mission forward. And that is as, our, as we do life together as a husband and a wife, that we're actually pointing to this greater relationship of Christ in the church, of Christ that he has with us. And so in, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul picks up this very thing, having just quoted, having just quoted uh, Genesis 2.24, he says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. Actually, that is the quotation of Genesis 2.24 right there. And see what he says? It's a profound mystery. And we think what he's talking about is what he's just talking about. One man, one woman coming together in this marriage relationship becoming one. We go, that is new math. One plus one equals one. That's God's math in marriage. We go, that, that, is, that is mysterious, how we could have that kind of unity of body, mind, and soul, one flesh unity. But what does he say? But I'm talking about Christ in the church. That's the mystery. And that mystery here is that this is something that was hidden. This is something that hasn't been revealed yet. But here's, here I'm revealing it to you that there's something beautiful about the marriage relationship that always is meant to point to God's love for us, his desire for us to be in relationship with him. That's how we drive the mission of God forward. Now, after he's just had a lot of things to say about husbands and wives, he sums it up with the cliff notes at the end of Ephesians 5, verse 31, with 33, with these words. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect. Men, we're called to love our wives. But Peter makes it clear, we don't get a pass on the respect part. We are to honor and respect our wives. And wives, you are to respect your husbands, but obviously the scripture is, is full of examples of where we're called to serve and love one another from the heart. So loving our wives. How so? Ephesians 5.22 through 33 instructs us in this way. It says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. So here's, if you forget everything else that you've heard today, and if you could just get this locked into your head for the rest of your life and for 
all your relationships, it'll transform you and your relationships in ways that you could not imagine. Because the principle that we're going to see here in Ephesians 5 is this. Look to Jesus. Love and live like Jesus. And in so doing, point others to him as well. So let's just say this out loud. Look to Jesus, love and live like Jesus, and in so doing, point others to him. So husbands, he says, look to Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. Because as you see Christ clearly and how he loved you, you are going to be set up to know how it is that you need to love your wife. Love your wife like Christ, who gave himself up. Jesus didn't metaphorically give himself up. He physically died on the cross. He gave up his life for people who didn't desire it, who didn't deserve it. It was unconditional. And we're called to give up our lives, my life for yours. That actually is the life-giving way to live our lives. To give your life away to other people in service to them is actually where you receive so much more. But what happens is oftentimes we're not rooted and grounded in Christ or not yet in a relationship with Christ. So we're looking to our spouse, we're looking to our wife to, to fill us with all these longings that only Christ can perfectly fill. Look to Christ. Love her like Christ. Not just in the big ways that will be easy for you to do and maybe just like natural for you to do, to, to take the bullet, to do the heroic. I'm talking about the stuff of everyday life that, that there is going to be no 10 o'clock news camera going, can you believe he just did that? He changed the poopy diaper. He picked up the vacuum cleaner and vacuum. So it's the little stuff where we work this out. Look at verse 25. I don't have it up on the slide, but let me just read it to you about husbands, or if you're there, Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. There is a purpose in his love to make us holy, cleansing her, cleansing us by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. So we're, we're to have the word of God in us. So as we're living out the word through us, there, there is this thing happening in our life where they're becoming more and more like Christ. This is a dynamic in marriage. This is one of the beautiful things in marriage is one of God's designs is not just to give us a, a companion, a helpmate, just, not just to give us someone who help, help us move forward the mission of God, but move forward the mission of God in our own lives. And so there's a huge thing about marriage that is sanctifying. Part of it is hard because you get married and you go, oh my word, I am such a selfish pig. And then if God gives you kids, you go, I thought I knew this lesson. And you go, oh, my gosh, I'm even more of a selfish pig. <laughs> and so there's this understanding of our own inadequacies and shortcomings and selfishness. 
And there's this dynamic that God has both ways, husbands and wives and wives to husbands, where we have the opportunity to help each other grow to be more like Christ. And so we're nourishing her, he says. We're taking care of her physical needs, and we're cherishing her. We're taking care of her emotional needs, which is more than fixing things. Oh, man, I love fixing things. I mean, I get such a trip out of crossing things off my to-do list on Mondays, and things got fixed. I feel so good about fixing something, right? Because so much in life can't get fixed. And so when I can fix something, so we're fixers, right, guys? Anybody a fixer out there, or is it just me? Oh, yeah, we love fixing, guys. Our wives don't want a Band-Aid. They don't want to fix. They just want us to hear it and to enter into it and actually care about it and not give reasons why they shouldn't care. So when Peter says, live with your wife in an understanding way, for how many years in my marriage, I thought, just, Lord, help me to help me explain to Lori, you know, what, what I'm like. Like, help her to understand me. Like, that's not what that verse is about. This verse means, help me to understand her, to be sensitive. Paul, wasn't that an interesting phrase last week? Remember he said, the gift of singleness, you don't have the concerns of married life. You don't have the concerns of this world, of how to please your husband, of how to please your wife. And I thought, huh, when was the last time I thought about that? When was the last time I woke up and said, huh, how can I please Lori today? That would transform our marriages. Men, we're called to please our wives, to be sensitive. We're called to not be harsh, to not be critical, to love her as Christ loved the church. And in so doing, we move the mission of Christ forward because they see Jesus' love in us in the same way. Wives, they see Jesus' love in you and the church's love for Christ in you. The one word that sums it all up for the teaching on wives, according to Paul at the end of chapter 5, is the word respect, right? And that's a word that uh, it gets tough when you feel like, well, maybe if he was a little more respectable, I could do that. You might be in an abusive relationship. So let me just say it right now. There is absolutely no excuse and there is no place and this goes for men and women for any emotional, physical abuse. And we will not wink at that. We will not pretend it's not happening. We're not going to send you back to work harder at your marriage. If your life is in danger, we want to come around you and be part of that. But this is the call for wise, is to respect. But the interesting thing is it's the only time he uses the words in the whole chapter here. You go back to verse 21, and he says this to get into the subject. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as, to, as you do to the Lord. And, and now right now, a whole bunch of women are going, uh-oh, he just said the S word. So let me just say, the reason women would say that is because there have been so many jerk-faced men who've abused that. And they think they think the teaching of Ephesians 5 is to exercise my headship because I'm the spiritual leader of this place. And sweetheart, you better buck up and fall in line. That has nothing to do with Ephesians 5. And that has nothing to do with Christ-like love. And so I get it. And submission's a dirty word in our day. But we got to recover it. It's one of the beautiful words that describes Jesus' attitude towards the Father. 
He submitted his will and even his life for us. Romans 5, 8. And so what we're talking about here is a volitional yielding of yourself in all areas of your life to your husband's leadership. That does not mean you do whatever he says, even if it dishonors the name of Christ or is in clear disobedience to his word. It does not mean that you turn yourself in a doormat. It does mean, it does not mean that you check your brains at the door and you have no say on anything and that's just how it is because you got that short straw. It doesn't mean that your husband's better or smarter or stronger, anything. It means this is what God has called you to do, just like Christ and just like a Christian, fully submitted to Christ. So these are hard things because here's the deal. Because we're reflecting the greater relationship and that greater relationship of Christ and the church has been cemented by God's unconditional love and mercy, we don't get the out of going, oh, phew. You only have to respect your husband if he loves you like Christ. And you know that's never going to happen. And so you're off the hook, sweetheart. And guys, you never have to love like Christ until she fully respects you. That's not that. Because we're reflecting the greater relationship of God and his unconditional love for us. So the, the scripture is clear. We're to be devoted to one another in love. We're to serve one another in love. Right? We're to bear with each other in love. And if we're to do that unconditionally, if we're honest, we're going to say, that's not only hard, that's impossible because there's a bunch of times where I don't even want to do that, let alone that I'm just not able to do that. So here's the deal. God has never called you or me to do something that he doesn't give us the resources by which we can meet his directives that would bring blessing. And here's where I'm going is he's given us the spirit. Which spirit? The Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? It's Christ's spirit. Where is that spirit? Not out in the world. If we placed our faith in Christ, the spirit has taken resident. We've been marked with him as a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. We belong to God, his spirit in us, giving us a new heart with new desires and new power. And the fruit of the spirit is ours of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's in you. We got the fullness of Christ in us. And so he says in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine. Don't be filled with debauchery. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Be filled, literally, keep on being filled with the Spirit. It is impossible in your own strength to love like Jesus. But it's not impossible to love like Jesus through the power of the Spirit as we walk in dependence upon Christ and his spirit. And so this ought to give us hope. And this, this ought to just give us direction here. I gotta look. I gotta keep looking to Christ. And I gotta keep loving to Christ, loving like Christ. And the spirit is gonna help me do that. The spirit's gonna remind me when I'm not looking like Christ. And I'm not loving like Christ. So I caught up with uh, John Gottman's research. Over the decades, he has been working with married couples and he's identified what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These are four traits in a relationship that doom. It brings the end, like the four horsemen in the book of, a, of Revelation. They, they bring the end to the marriage relationship. Here they are. Number one, criticism. So this critical spirit toward a spouse, verbal attack, right, personal. Second horse, defensiveness. This unwillingness to take responsibility. Not only that, actually reversing the blame, playing the victim. Third horse, 
stonewalling, uh, unwillingness to address the issue, constantly withdrawing from conflict, don't want to go there. And the fourth is, and he says, this is the worst. This is the most predictive. And by the way, his research says we have 90% accuracy here when these things are coming and involved in a, in a marriage relationship that it's going to go south. And the number one of, of these four is contempt. And, and he describes it from mockery to sarcasm, name-calling to eye-rolling, hostile humor, all these attacks on a person with the intent to insult, to abuse. And then when you read through, you know, the antidotes to this, I realize they're, they're just a little different of how we would work it out as Christ followers. So the antidote here is the gospel. The antidote is Christ. The antidote is the Spirit's fullness in our lives. Criticism. It, it, the, the antidote is gratitude. One, one of the marks of the Spirit is he, he, he gives us a grateful heart and spirit. And so one of the things love doesn't do is keep account of a wrong suffered. But we keep, we keep score and give thanks for all the things that are right. So criticism, there's gratitude. Defensiveness, there's this humility. We know we're not perfect. We want to get better. We actually, because we're secure in Christ, we can say things like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? How can I please you? You know, I say those words at weddings. Every time I marry a couple, I'll say that. And people laugh. I say, let, let them hear these words often. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Everybody laughs. They're like huge. You, you may be stuck right now because in your pride, you, you are unwilling to acknowledge that you were wrong because you're afraid what they're going to do with it. And you're not trusting God's word. You're actually trusting your fear at this time. When it comes to stonewalling, the peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts. Not, we're not to have our emotions driven by fear, but by God's word and his promises and his presence and that we'd move towards our spouse with love and respect. Contempt needs mercy and forgiveness. God's grace. So look to Jesus. That's the best first move. And if you are not in a relationship with Christ, today's the day to get that right. Your marriage is never going to get better than your relationship with the Lord right now. And if you think you got marriage problems, I am sure there are struggles and challenges and problems in your marriage. But fundamentally, let me tell you, there's a greater relationship where you need to focus and start. It's looking to the Lord. And what I've seen in people that have flatline marriages and great, great hurt is the couples that came together came back together because they were both looking to Jesus with the desire to do what he says and then love like Jesus. And over time, by God's grace, renewed, restored marriages. Have you given your life to Christ? Do you have his grace, his truth, his love, his forgiveness? his devotion to bless your marriages. So let me just say something to people who are in a good marriage and people who are in a hard marriage. If you're in a good marriage, well, keep looking at Jesus or start looking at Jesus. Because if you're not looking to Jesus together, 
then there's a spiritual unity here that's not in its right place. Keep loving like Jesus. Keep investing in your marriage. And don't be surprised if in the midst of what you would say is, man, a strong marriage, a crisis happens. Like for us, it was 11 years in, and it was losing little baby Gabriel at five and a half months in Lori's pregnancy. And that rocked our marriage. And if you'd asked me before that, how's your marriage? I would have said rock solid. We had nothing to do with that. It just came in our lives. And when you have a crisis like that, there is so much pressure going through your marriage, it exposes every pinhole leak that right now under sunny skies, you don't even know that's there. And so just understand marriage is fragile and life is hard and none of us know what's around the corner. And so we're looking, we're loving, we're investing. Lori has this great line. She says, you know what? I'd rather us do a little getaway, you know, do a bed and breakfast, go, go to a hotel in Milwaukee or Chicago than, than, you know, spend money on counseling. I just, I'd just rather do that. Like, none of us, and let me just say this. We've gone to counseling. I'm going to encourage you if you're struggling. Like, that's a good thing to do. But nobody gets up going, oh, I can't wait. We're going to marriage counseling. This is awesome. <laughs> We just don't. So invest. Okay, for those who are struggling. All right, so someone could be struggling because you're married to an unbeliever so you don't have the spiritual oneness. So remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Hey, if your unbelieving spouse wants to live with you, well, then great. And don't forget you have a huge influence. You have a sanctifying impact. What does that mean? God can use you. 1 Peter 3. God can use your testimony, wife, without saying a word as you live this godly life before your man. And you can win. What does that mean? You can change his heart. Because here's what the Bible says. The kindness of God leads to change. Romans 2, 2, 4. And so you just focus on being kind and letting the kindness of God do it. There's no guarantees, but you're in a good place. And your marriage is in a better place if you're living like that. I've already talked about abusive relationships. So I'm not going to get into that. So let's just talk about the struggling one. Oh, man, there's so much to say. Look to Jesus, love like Jesus. That's a good place to start when it's hard. Try to understand there's something deeper here than a marriage issue. There's something more going on here than a marriage issue. And... Part of what's going on is God wanting to change us. And so um, be, be open to that. What's, what's so easy is to be preoccupied with how you want your spouse to change right now so that things would be better. And you and I both know you can't change your spouse. This is not going to happen. But by God's grace, you can change you to be more like Christ. And so look to Jesus. Have that perspective don't give in to the lies. Look, if this is a picture of the greater relationship and you are Christ followers, you just need to know the enemy wants to ruin the picture so that people aren't longing for the greater relationship. Why should they believe that you can have peace with God when two people who love Jesus can't have peace with each other? It's simple. So there's an enemy out here, and don't, don't miss that. So you pray for your marriage, and, and you start not focusing on all that needs to change and, and, and what I call weed control. Get into this habit of overseeding, of doing the good stuff, 
the good stuff of leaving that you need to do and doing that regularly, the good thing of uniting, spend great time together doing things that build your marriage. And you know what happens when you oversee your marriage with these good disciplines and practices? There's quickly no longer much room for these weeds to keep growing. So you can be weed-focused. And let me tell you, that is a big bummer when you pull that dandelion and out it comes three weeks later because you didn't get the root. And out it comes three months later. And out it comes three years later. And you go, man, I am so tired of this. Don't, don't go weed specific. Don't go weed hunting. Sow good seed. Do the good seed. Do the good seed. And, and ask God to give you hope in a marriage right now that you say is flatline dead and don't ever lose your confidence in Jesus' power to change things, whether it was the storm or the water into wine or the withered hand into a whole hand or the widow's son who's walking around. He can change your marriage. And don't give in to the lie that it could never happen, that it'll never change. That isn't true. Look to Christ. Love like Christ. Receive his blessing to bless those. Let's pray. So, Father God, as we come to the end of your word here, we pray that you would fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you, the God of hope. Help us, we pray. Help us to see your son, to love like him for your glory and the good of those you called us to serve. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen.